1: hello 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 how are you this is sean ferrick here for trek culture how are you getting on i am here today to talk to you about the great unknown period which is basically star trek's lost era so what is the lost era why am i talking to you about this the lost era is basically everything that happened between roughly the events of Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country and when Star Trek The Next Generation starts in 2363. So we're talking about around late 2280s to 2363. In between that time we've always got hints and we've got suggestions as to what happened and we have we know incidents that took place but a lot of them have never actually been shown on screen. At the moment it seems that if you wait about five minutes another Star Trek series gets greenlit whether it's a short Trek or a Picard or a Discovery or whatever the current showrunners love the absolute plethora of Trek that we've gotten in fact I think there's more Trek now than we would have had back pre-JJ Abrams it's actually bonkers it stands to reason that they might be looking for more ideas of what to explore and that that speaks to us at Trek Culture because we've been thinking about for a long time this Lost Era. So, why Star Trek needs to explore the Lost Era? That is because we will be seeing pretty much any show based in the Lost Era in the Monster Marine uniforms, which I love so- Let me catch up. My friends. You have no idea how long I've been waiting to break this out for a video, okay? Any story, basically, that's going to happen in the Lost Era is going to take place, frankly, in one of these uniforms, which I'm very, very here for. So if you think the Kittimer Conference in the Undiscovered Country takes place in 2293, and then you have the launch of the Enterprise-D in 2363, what have we got going on? And also, who are the key players that we might be looking at in terms of this time. I'm going to start with the Enterprise B, because Captain John Harriman and Demora Sulu are two characters who, if we look to the novels, for example, are quite important in this lost era of time. So John Harriman was played by Alan Rook in Star Trek Generations, and Demora Sulu was played by Jacqueline Kim, both of whom are still working today and could easily reprise the roles. Now the Enterprise B and these two characters were involved in the Tomed Incident, which then it preceded the Treaty of Algeron, which established at least the peace treaty between the Romulans and the Federation, and also banned the Federation from developing any cloaking technology. This has never been shown on screen. So this is the first of a story where not only could the original actors reprise their roles, but also something that's pretty massive in Star Trek history. Now, we have as well the Kittimer Massacre. So this would feature characters such as Sergi and Helene Roshenko. We have Worf. We have Moog, who has never been depicted on screen. We could also possibly have Colonel Worf, which would allow Michael Dorn to return to the role that he originated in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Again, huge piece of Federation Klingon history. One that it's, it seems pretty crucial. To showing really how they got to the peace treaty that is shown in Star Trek The Next Generation and I suppose on the topic of Klingon Federation history there is 2344 there's the Battle of Narendra 3 now, we saw what happened to the Enterprise-C when it went through that temporal rift. Captain Rachel Garrett, played by Trisha O'Neill, again, still working today, was in command of the Enterprise-C when they responded to the distress call of the Klingon colony. That is something that, again, we've not seen the other side of that temporal anomaly. So, and also, what else happened aboard the Enterprise-C up until that? It could be quite a short story because a little bit of research says that The Enterprise-C was only in service in the 2340s, so it looks like, at best, we get four years. There's other characters who are kicking around at this time as well. If we actually go back now a little bit, we've got Curzon Dax. He was joined, so Curzon and Dax were joined in 2286. He was joined right up until 2367 which is when Jadzia took over the symbiont. There is a whole plethora of history then, not least to say the history of him and Sisko. There is the story of the prophets Sarah Sisko and Joseph Sisko that could be explored as well. Again, go back. There was talk a long time ago of trying to get a Sulu spin-off series going. Now, I will be honest, nothing saying at all that George Takei couldn't do it, but this might be something more of a, a special or a shorter run. There is, of course, the possibility of revisiting Chekhov as a character, as Walter Koenig is still acting. Funnily enough, the, a little bit of how time comes together is that in the first episode of season two of Star Trek Picard, we see that cadet Jean-Luc Picard served aboard the ship, and I want to get the pronunciation right: is Leon de Grance, Leon de Grance, which was commanded by Captain Neota O'Hora. Looking ahead to Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Celia R. Gooding is now taking over the role of cadet Nyota Uhura. So this is easily a storyline that could be followed. Now, this might be something a little bit further down the line, as presumably now we're going to get all of her backstory first. But again, that is another era that can be explored in this time as well. Now, there is also such things as the Cardassian occupation of Bajor, which could see the return of Inabra Now, it is unlikely that Paul Dooley, though still alive, uh, is in his 90s at this stage so unlikely to return to the role of Tane so this would be something that could be recast however you could bring in Dukat a little bit later on the makeup is so heavy for a Cardassian frankly Mark Alimo could reprise the role that would also see potentially a return of the character of Keira Norris and of course the Shikar resistance cell again something we've only really seen in flashback not properly depicted on screen on that then there is the Cardassian Wars and the often mentioned, yet never actually depicted, Massacre of Setlik III, where Chief Miles O'Brien was, of course, serving aboard the USS Rutledge. Then, of course, in the 2350s, we have Jean-Luc, Beverly Crusher and Jack Crusher all around the time of the Battle of Maxia. There is a whole plethora of options right there. And again, with a lot of actors still working who could quite easily return
0: Go to Bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's Bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
1: So what makes us think that any of this is possible? In a recent interview, Akiva Goldsman said that he had never truly gotten rid of the idea of doing an anthology series. An idea which had in fact been spoken about when Brian Fuller was still the showrunner on Star Trek Discovery. Now with that being the case, one or any of these storylines could easily be visited. So what possible formats are we talking about here? We could talk about a full season story, where a bit like the show American Horror Story, each season you have, you know, technically the same cast of characters, or the same cast I should say, that are playing different roles each season. And each season is effectively a standalone story, although I know there's crossover in that show as well. So that, of course, is the first option. Another option is you could just do a feature length episode. That one, it's very, very possible, but it could get quite costly to, let's say, build the bridge of the Enterprise B for one episode. You never know, there could also be a five-season run with an option for a movie as well. Think about it, Star Trek Strange New Worlds effectively came out of the appearance of Pike, Number One, and Spock on Star Trek Discovery, and their reappearance in the Short Treks, which led to Fan Outcry, which has led to Strange New Worlds. There's really any choice of formats for this. Personally, I think it would be good if we get the one season Storyline. You can do a self-contained story. For example, if we go back again to, let's say, Treaty of Alderaan, Tomed incident, that is something where you can sort of drop us more or less into the beginning of the story or kind of just after the beginning of the story. We know the Federation and the Romulans aren't really friends. We know Harriman is captain of the Enterprise B. So if you give us a 10 episode arc, you can flesh everything out. You can give Demora Sulu much more of a story because we know, for example, again from Beta Canon, that she's going to go on to command the Enterprise B so you could show her being set up for command in this series as well. There's a lot of pros to doing one season arcs too. One is that, quite frankly, it's less commitment for the actors. Let's say George Takei was to return and do a show about Sulu. Well, I mean, having to commit to a five-season arc is a lot to ask for someone who is in their 80s. However, if you say, look, give me one year and we will tell a self-contained story, that is far less of a commitment because you can obviously film that in a bunch together. I know, for example, obviously, that Star Trek Picard is doing a three-season arc where seasons two and three have been filmed back to back. In fact, as of the filming of this video, season three has just wrapped production. So, That was something that was considered because Patrick Stewart, for all of the enthusiasm that he has, is in his 80s. Let's do as much together to make it a bit easier on these actors. That is definitely a pro of doing an anthology. Now, a con, of course, is that if everyone loves the bloody series, but it's over at the end of it, that would definitely be a con. Another pro would be the amount of effort and, frankly, finance that goes into making some of these stories. If you do a one season, one and done... That's a bit easier to manage. Let's say, for example, that the Captain Wharf series finally happens. Michael Dorn has been looking for this series forever. However, he's also consistently said he really doesn't like the makeup for Wharf. But if he's only doing it for one series, again, less of a physical commitment on the part of the actor. But also, let's look at the cost of building one of these things. You know, if you have to build a set for this, You want to, you know, you want to have a way of justifying the set without actually breaking the bank either. So again, a one series, one and done, is probably the best way to do some of those ideas of those Lost Era stories. There's also, quite frankly, do these things as a one and done. It's a way of testing the waters. The aforementioned Strange New Worlds did that. They're getting a season out of it. At least. I think they've actually... In fact, they have been confirmed for a season two before they even air. So, you know... Not bad. There are frankly so many characters that can be explored. I haven't even mentioned Kang, Koloth and Kor. I mean, these three Dahar masters are kicking around the 24th century with so many stories, so many incidents in their past that we've seen so little of. Chronologically, the last time we see Kang and Koloth is in Blood Oath. Kor is in Once More Under the Breach. Before that again chronologically the last time we see them was in the original series what are they up to in the meantime now they are of course roles that would have to be recast as all three actors have passed away at this point now that actually in a way because Koloth who was played by William Campbell reminds me when was the first time the Federation encountered the Q in the original series episode the Squire of Gothos William Campbell appeared as Trelane Now, Trelane has for a long time been said, by John Delancey at least, to have been a precursor to The Q, and certainly his performance of Q. And it's been said in, notice, there's comic books as well as novels that establish Trelane as a member of the Continuum. It's never been explicitly stated on screen, let us see what's going on. And again, that's not to mention, I'm just throwing names out there, Two is around at this time. Let's check in with Christine Chappell, Janice Rand. What are they up to? What's, What's going on with their careers? There's so many different directions that this series could go in leading up to and potentially including the very beginning of Star Trek The Next Generation when everyone looks a little bit like this alright, I'll admit, it's not going to be too expensive to do costume changes in this show. There you go, another reason to do it. The time is absolutely perfect as to why Star Trek needs to explore the Lost Era. There is a wealth of talent. behind the scenes for sure Alex Kurtzman who I know is watching this video and the rest of the showrunners of the various shows they seem to really really care about Star Trek at the moment look at the work that's being done on Star Trek Picard for one like the difference between season two and season one not that season one was bad but season two is bringing so much legacy stuff in so let's visit this lost era we get loads of versions of monster maroon so you know i'm i'm delighted we know as well that the audience is there for for proof Look at the video we did on why Star Trek Enterprise needs to return for a fifth season. That got a fantastic response from the fan base. We know there's stories there that need to be told. We've also done, there's a list, the 10 biggest events in Star Trek history that we never got to see. Again, huge amount of interest there. So how much of a crossover do you think there is between that list and this lost era? So we're talking the late 2280s to the early 2363s. Early 2363s? I'm gonna commit to it. Early 2363s. We get more monster maroons than I know what to do with. We even get this version. Put a bit of talcum powder in my hair and I could be that version of DeForest Kelly who was going to appear in the Encounter at Farpoint before they went in a different direction. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?